I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this week's episode of the podcast, I'm on the line with Jonas Baer-Poulsen of Norm Architects, who's joining me from his studio in Copenhagen. Thank you, Jonas, for joining us on the podcast. It's um, it's great to be connected with you in Copenhagen today. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, the early days of Norm Architects. You founded or co-founded the company in two th- 2008. Uh, and I read that you took a whole year to think about what it was that you wanted the studio to be before you launched the company uh, I'm really curious to hear a bit about what you discussed with your partner, Casper, at that time and how you decided on the name Norm. Well, yeah, it's true that we actually planned uh, starting up Norm Architects uh, throughout 2007 and it was just before the financial crisis. Um, and at that time, the the most predominant philosophy or approach to design uh, in general was postmodernism. And Casper and I had both worked in uh, in the same workplace for uh, a Danish modernist. So we were kind of raised creatively in in that tradition, believing in, in norms and standards of what was good Scandinavian design. So choosing the name norm and, uh, and kind of creating our approach to design was in many ways uh, a quiet rebellion against the the trend driven at, at that time. Uh, you know, you had designers making replicas of Rococo chairs, burning them and dipping them in resin and selling them off for, for fortunes. Um, so the design language was much more about being innovative and playful and artistic and expressive and and we were much more about creating long-lasting durable uh, subtle timeless pieces that would actually fulfill needs Um, but then just as we started out in 2008 the financial crisis uh, came along worldwide and and for many people they would probably think that was a hard time to start up a business but in our case it seemed like consumer taste just changed overnight and, and pointed in, in our direction where people actually wanted to in, invest in fewer but but better objects and, and have a more, let's say, functional and and, um, and timeless approach to how they decorate their houses and, and build their houses. Um, so, so in many ways, that was a great start for us. Mm. And the firm that you have established is very multidisciplinary. You you know have multiple facets to what you do. Uh, I'm curious to know how you feel about the the different arms of the business. And I'm talking about the product design, interior design, architecture, as well as art direction and photography. Do you feel that each of those uh, parts of the studio are kind of influencing each other, or do they, you know, is is that sort of a a, c- a continuous kind of feedback loop, I guess, 
so to speak? I, I think there's no doubt that all the different disciplines there interconnected and and uh, and our overall design philosophy or approach to each of these disciplines is, is very much the same the, the core of, of, of it is the same of course um, the practical elements of of doing photography is not the same as, as architecture that they are very separate in, in that way but but they definitely feed each other and there's a constant inspiration um, and, and interconnection between each of, of the different fields. And in many projects, they are also all part of, of the same whole of doing actually a, a project like a, like a hotel that both has, of course, um, architecture, interior design, furniture design, uh, even down to the smallest industrial detail. And then afterwards communicating uh, the project, doing the art direction, graphic design, the photography, and and the commu communication itself. So it's, um, I think we generally really like to be involved in project where we can have a much more holistic approach and be part of all the elements rather than just supplying a, a part of the wheel. And that, as you know, the, you word, used the word holistic, that, that approach or that multidisciplinary approach is, is not necessarily a new thing in Denmark. There's quite a tradition of that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, did you have any role models while you were perhaps studying or growing up, um, whether they be past or present, or you know anyone that you were looking to for inspiration, uh, you know, in the past or even now? Yeah, I, I think in, in Scandinavia we have definitely a, a tendency, like like many other places in the world, to be somewhat ethnocentric and, and be very proud of our heritage and 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 the old masters. I, I think the golden age of Scandinavian design is still being celebrated uh, very uh, broadly in, in, in the Scandinavian countries. And, and of course, growing up creatively looking at Arne Jacobsen and Elva Elto and, um, and different um, both architects and, and cabinet makers and furniture designers in, in Scandinavia, they've all been kind of heroes, but, but uh, so have many other international designers and architects. Uh, I think you can throughout uh, the globe find pockets of modernisms that had practitioners that all kind of had the same approach or, or shared the same uh, values when it comes to architecture and design and that all had this holistic uh, approach uh, where they were part of, of designing everything within a building. Um, and it's true that, for example, Arne Jacobsen have created projects where he did everything from cutlery to dinnerware, curtains, uh, interior, and the architecture itself. Uh, but but actually, I think in in general practice, it has been for a very long time, they've been very divided between the different disciplines. But I can see now that worldwide younger design studios like, like ourselves, they tend to work much more across borders. Uh, and, uh, and that's really a nice uh, development, I think. So I think it's probably safe to say that designers from other countries across the world would look to Denmark, I think, in a way as a leader uh, in the field and perhaps as an inspiration historically and I would say also currently. Do you feel any sense of pressure from, from that kind of, um, you know, observation from other people across the world? Is it something that you're conscious of when you're working or is it um, inconsequential? 
uh, of course, I'm, I'm uh, conscious about uh, Danish design having a, a certain position and, and, and a strong tradition uh, in the world. Uh, but I'm also humbled because, I mean, there are so many strong design traditions out there. Uh, currently, we work a lot in, in Japan and I'm, I'm very humbled, I think, about their heritage and approach to the design. Uh, but in the same way, I, I mean, there's a very strong design tradition in, in, uh, in the Netherlands. There's a very strong Italian design tradition. There's a very strong tradition in Brazil and so on. Um, so, uh, of course, I'm conscious about it, but it's not something that I think about all the time or, or bring into uh, to the way I, I work with architecture. I, I think I, I look at it more broadly and, and I I pick uh, you know inspiration from from many different uh, fields and, and and traditions and and then I think they're translated into something that might be uh, considered Danish or or Scandinavian. But talking about this, I, I think there's an interesting shift. I, I think up until the uh, the breakthrough of social media, you could really talk about regional styles. Uh, you know, having Scandinavian designers working for Scandinavian design companies and, and maybe working with production facilities in Scandinavia and the raw materials uh, that we have like wood and, and, and stone. Um, but I think that has changed dramatically with uh, globalization uh, and especially with social media. Now it's so easy to find um, kindred spirits all over the world that appreciate the same uh, artistic expression or approach to to design and architecture and I see a lot of um, different directions trends and, and, and approaches existing alongside each other globally uh, so so I mean you can see people doing something that you would consider Scandinavian design but they're uh, brought up in whether it's Australia Asia South America or the US uh, and you can also see people doing something that would look Italian or Dutch in Denmark. Um, so in that way, it has changed dramatically because the way we communicate and exchange ideas is just so instant now and, and completely global. Mm, that's quite interesting. So my, my next question is actually about, you know, whether you think about what the future of Danish design might be, whether that is something that you think about uh, and, and perhaps whether there is... You, you feel that it's important for it to retain a certain philosophy or aesthetic. You've just talked about the globalization of design in a way. Uh, do you feel that perhaps maybe uh, the essence of that might be lost in, uh, you know, images traveling across the world? You know, what do you think about all of that? Um, yeah, there there are many facets of of that question that is quite interest that are that are quite interesting. Uh, I think it will definitely change uh, as a as a regional design style. I, I think it will exist, but globally, and and it will change characters. It's translated by designers growing up in in, uh, in different parts of the world. Um, you can also see here in Denmark right now. I I think we're experiencing like a a second golden age of of design. I, I think after the success that we had with exporting the idea of uh, Danish modern in, in the 50s and 60s and, and also 70s. There was a long break in, in, um, in Danish design culture that 
where we really relied very much on, on the history and, and the heritage. And it was very hard for young designers to break through and get products in, into the different Danish design brands. Uh, they just kept on selling the, the same items. And, and then with the, the whole wave of new Nordic that actually started within cuisine, but that translated or transcended into uh, design companies, there was like a, a new cluster of, of companies experiencing um, global success design-wise again. Uh, but a lot of them were kind of new, uh, both in their approach to design and also their aesthetics, much more colorful, not only working with Scandinavian designers, but also international designers. I'm talking about companies like Muto and Hay. And, um, you have also a company like Gubi that is much more influenced by maybe Southern European, European, French and Italian design. Um, so, so right now we're definitely experiencing a, a boom in, in Scandinavia with a lot of companies just popping up all over and, and experiencing great success. But the, the design language is very diverse and much more global. It's not like a, that you can point and, and say that collectively all these companies and all these products and all these approaches to, to interior design, for example, that it's recognizably Scandinavian. I would say it's, it's, uh, it's much more of a, a patchwork now. Uh, so it's, de it's definitely changing. It's so interesting to have you talk about the rise of uh, new Nordic cuisine alongside uh, the sort of, yeah, the boom I think that we've seen of all of these Scandinavian brands. Sort of talking about those two in parallel is quite interesting actually. Um, I imagine that chefs from that part of the world must be very keen to be using local ingredients. I was um, in Copenhagen a couple of times before COVID hit and that seemed to be such a a common element or aspect of their cooking. Do you think that that's a part of, um, you know, the new furniture design brands? Is there a sense of locality that is um, being woven into that, do you think? No, I actually, I, I don't think it's, uh, you can translate it that directly. Uh, I mean, developing new Nordic cuisine was very much bringing the idea of the terroir cuisine to Denmark. We had more, more of a, let's say, a, maybe a, a peasant food, food culture before that, uh, that didn't really exploit all the wonderful ingredients and produce we have in, in Scandinavia. And there were uh, a number of chefs that held the conference and established some norms and standards for what the new Nordic cuisine should be. And, and that spread out uh, within the, the food scene in, in, in Copenhagen and throughout Scandinavia and has dramatically changed the the food scene over the past, what, 15 years or so. Um, but there was, for example, with uh, the Danish restaurant Noma, one of the owners uh, actually started uh, or co-founded Muto, the brand. And I think he took the idea of new Nordic or new perspectives on Nordic design from, you know, the the, uh, the food scene and brought it into design. And, and then he also, with that company, kind of changed the idea of what Scandinavian design could be and how it could look and challenged the, the status quo. And in, in, together with a few other companies that really opened up, uh, um, I think, the design scene again. And, uh, and the companies saw that they could actually have success with new designs and not only the, the old pieces. And then you have various or different companies that 
that have different approaches now. Some of them are relaunching old classics and they're building on tradition and creating new designs that are very much in line with what was done before. And you have other companies being more innovative and, and, and much more new or fresh in their expression. Uh, they're existing side by side and, and both, let's say, approaches are experiencing success. So I, th I think it's more about, yeah, that f new perspective that changed things. Um, so I've, I've read that you uh, would describe or refer to norm architecture's approach or perhaps philosophy as being human-centric. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on why we're still building architecture and interiors that are not actually designed for humans uh, or not sort of having humans at the core of, of the design. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think one problem is that our culture in general is being increasingly rapidly and predominantly visual. Uh, I mean, people increasingly live their lives through a screen. Uh, so just by looking at the number of hours people they use with their phone in front of their head or, or in front of their laptop, it's, it's quite scaring. But that also means that we kind of consume or experience the world uh, mainly with our eyes uh, and in, in that process it seems like a lot of um, creatives they tend to forget that we also have other senses that, that architecture and design is actually uh, being experienced uh, collectively by all the senses in, in one moment in one atmosphere uh, but it, it I, I mean I've come across so many designers in working also as um, head of design for some, some different companies that don't really care that much about how things they sound or how they smell or how it tastes to the lips when you drink from a cup or if you put cutlery into your mouth or um, that, that only care about how it looks in an image and how it will perform on Instagram, uh, which is really sad in many ways. So I think definitely there is uh, a loss of attention to, to all the human senses in how people or some people approach uh, architecture and design. And, and I think within architecture, we've experienced um, how architecture is becoming like a, a way of competing internationally be between different cities, creating things that are artistic works where it's about how a building performs as a sculpture in the city rather than how it uh, applies to human life uh, and then of course just how we plan our cities uh, around cars instead of people I, I mean there are so many aspects of the approach to architecture and design moving away from being human centric but being more car centric or brand centric or whatever you would call it uh, and, and I, I think with our approach and, and the way we talk about it we try to get back to some of, of those virtues where it's all about building things in the human scale and how it meets our body and how it's perceived by our senses. Mm. I'm really curious, you know, you've, you come from and work in a country that is renowned, I think the world over for having such a, a strong uh, social welfare network. Um, 
and obviously a very strong and vibrant democracy. I'm, I'm wondering if you think that growing up in an environment and a culture like that makes you more sensitive to designing spaces or cities or objects that are caring for or focusing on humans. Is that, do you think, a fair observation? I, I definitely think so, yeah. I, I think us being a, a very small community or tribe in in Denmark with uh, with that few people uh, being in a in, in a welfare society with uh, uh, a state that has also focused on quality in design I think without knowing it we are raised in surroundings where everything is uh, very carefully designed and, and of high quality so whether it's in our public schools going to the dentist or the doctors or being in the street or waiting for the bus, uh, or I mean, everything is carefully designed and supported by the state in this social uh, democratic uh, country. Uh, and it's only traveling abroad where you go to countries that also has beautiful design, but also has a lot of areas that are, are controlled by private interest or solely by uh, economy or just left bare that you, see how spoiled we actually are with everything being so uh, carefully thought out and, and, and neatly designed and, and very focused on human uh, welfare and human well-being. Um, so, so it's definitely a, it, it's a, a very nice uh, standpoint or, or point of departure uh, in terms of creating high quality design. Mm, I can imagine. So I, I want to talk to you a bit about your photography. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. You um, talked a bit before about Instagram and how the world is, you know, very much focused on our sight and neglects our other senses and we're also attached to our screens. But photography, uh, interestingly, is, you know, part of your practice uh, as is art direction. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about that and how much of your time you dedicate to that and do you feel that it is completely separate to your architecture and, and design? Is it part of the process or is it, uh, is it more of a creative outlet? How would you talk about that? I think it's a combination of, of all of the things you just mentioned. It, for me, it started out uh, as a way of studying the world. Uh, when I was um, 19 year, years old, I traveled to Rome to live for a year because I wanted to, to become a a painter. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't that good at it. But part of of learning how to to paint was uh, through drawing and, and observation. So I spent, I mean, numerous days in Rome, sitting in the different squares, trying to to uh, register the the buildings and the sculptures and 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 the life in the street. And that was very much about uh, learning how to to observe um, observe. Uh, the different elements of, for example, a, a building. One thing is just coming in and having this uh, atmospheric observation or experience of a, a space or a square or uh, a moment uh, where you, you just get a, a sense in your, in your body or feeling. You don't really register all the parts that creates this feeling. Um, so drawing, or for me, in, in this case now, photographing, is very much about dissecting uh, elements of, of architecture or the world or nature, understanding 
the, the different parts and shapes and how they affect us and how they work collectively in, in, in that scenario. Uh, and that was also how it started. So I, I actually started f photographing other people's work to understand how it was made. Uh, and, and then when we started out, uh, our own practice, I also documented our own projects after com completion. And, um, and that was also really where I understand understood what we had been doing uh, that was through the lens i mean uh, looking through the lens you really need to focus on on what's important what's relevant and and kind of cut out all the irrelevant elements and and, and that's really a great way of uh, of learning about textures and shapes and light and, um, and then it's slowly developed into something more uh, so now I, I work also as a professional photographer doing both uh, architectural photography, interior photography, uh, as well as uh, more fine art projects, um, which I guess is more of a, a creative outlet or, or creative expression, but still examining some of the things that are important to, to my work as an architect as well. Mm. That's interesting. Do you think that the photography perhaps allows you to well you, i think you alluded to the fact that it allows you to look at your work you know reframing it looking at through it as a different from from a different perspective um do you think that that makes you a better designer at the end of the day because you have that opportunity to uh look at finished work from a different perspective i, I definitely feel it's a necessary tool for me uh to keep on evolving. I mean, this, the sad thing about it is that you also learn about all your mistakes um, <laughs> after having completed a project, but hopefully to avoid uh, making them again the next time. Uh, and it's really a way for me to evaluate my work very much in detail afterwards. Um, and, uh, and I just think it's, it's really... Uh, a great way to 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 value your own work but also to to learn uh, from others uh, so I, I still also do photography for other architects uh, photographing documenting their projects of course to help them out create beautiful images of, of what they have done but it's just as much for myself to to learn uh, about their ways of working mm, that's interesting so how important would you say that it is for architects to have other interests outside of architecture to have another outlet as you do? I, I don't know if the outlet itself is, uh, is, is that important. I think as an architect, you really need to have a broad interest in, um, in human life, in anthropology, in, um, in society in, in general. Uh, I mean, uh, there are so many analyses going before creating the architecture. Uh, there's so much you need to understand about human life, about human engagement, about communities and, and so on. So I think it's, unless you're giving, uh, given a certain gift and can just create amazing things without knowing anything, uh, then I, I think that it's um, essential uh, to have broad knowledge uh, um, to, to become a, a really good architect. Um, that, that's a, just about, then, then of course, there's also all the, the practical uh, and physical elements of, of building that, where you need to have a, a deep knowledge uh, about constructions and materials, and, 
uh, technology and, and, and so on. Um, where I think as an artist or as a, a designer, even maybe uh, coming from, for example, crafts, uh, you can work much more intuitively and, and create great things where it's more about shape, uh, for example, or materiality or something more isolated, uh, which makes it a different discipline. Mm. Interesting. Well, my final question for you is what's next? What are you working on at the moment that you're allowed to talk about? And are there any dream projects that you have not done yet that you would like to do in the future? Uh, they're extremely, <laughs> there's a lot of dream projects that I would, uh, would love to do. I think it would take uh, too long to, to mention all of them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, traveling the world, experiencing uh, so much great architecture, uh, it kind of uh, creates an, an inner vocation or urge to come out there and and try to to create similar things uh, in in the same way or aspire to, to do something uh, great as well. Um, so that list seems to be be endless. Um, <laughs> and and uh, regarding the projects we're working on now, I would say we're working on a lot of dream projects uh, globally. Um, the interesting thing about social media is also that with out having a lot of funds, I mean, you can put your work out there and people that likes it finds it, which in our case has resulted in the fact that we work uh, all over the globe almost. I mean, we have projects in the, in the US and in South America and uh, different parts of Asia spread throughout uh, the most of uh, Europe and UK. And, and then of course, uh, also here at home in, in Scandinavia, but I think it's it's less than 20% of our work uh, that is in, in our own region, uh, which is uh, a very privileged, uh, I think, part of, of this way of exchanging images uh, globally uh, for us. I think have we done, had we done the same work just like 15, 20 years ago, all of our projects had probably been around Copenhagen. Um, so we are working on, on, on different projects now within uh, hospitality, uh, for example, in, in, in Japan, uh, which is a place I, I just uh, love. Uh, we're doing exciting projects in beautiful uh, natural settings um, in, uh, in the Americas and, and, and wonderful uh, you know, private projects in, uh, in, in, in Europe um, at the moment. And they're all great. And, and the great thing about being able to do these projects is also that we can build um, architecture in, in completely different materials and in different settings that we're used to. I mean, we live in Denmark, which is completely flat, and we have almost no local uh, resources to build from. And, uh, and, and I like very much the variation this type of work we have now allows us to do. Uh, also learning about different cultures and and really diving into how they they live and um, and how they approach architecture and design, and then of course having our own perspective on things, uh, but also being humble and, and, and trying to understand their traditions. Mm. 
Well, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that uh, we're all very much looking forward to seeing what comes next from you and, and from Norm Architects. And uh, I'm also very much looking forward to being able to travel again and, and hopefully being able to visit you in Copenhagen. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure chatting. Thank you very much. And I'm definitely also looking forward to traveling again. I mean, it was such a big part of my life before COVID and and um, and even though you learn to stay in the same place for a longer period, I really need that. I feel uh, or I feel I, I need to get something new in, in in order to get something new out. Uh, and um, I, I'm looking forward to the day where that inspiration becomes more physical and, and not through the screen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jonas. Please stay safe and well and uh, take care. Thank you. And likewise. Yeah, take care.